to the book of James, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 7, but I'm going to read verses 4 through 10 for the sake of context. Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to open up your word again. Father, we need the Spirit's help to open up this text and apply it to all of our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that you would help us to see the the message that James is, is writing here. That you would help us to see our own sinfulness and our own needs to repent. And Father, if there are any here who who do not know you this day, help them to to see the, the perilousness of their condition outside of you and that they would turn to you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in a section of James where he was calling his readers to repentance with no uncertain terms, using very, very strong language. And this is appropriate because he is dealing with with some, some pretty serious sins. And let me take a moment to put this back into context for us. As I've mentioned, this section can be viewed as sort of the climax of this epistle. James has been dealing with the the poor behavior and sins of his readers all throughout this epistle thus far. And so what sort of things has he addressed? Blaming God when we are tempted. Showing favoritism or partiality. Sinning and calling it obedience to the law. Sinning with the tongue. Cursing others. Having bitter jealousy, being self-seeking, having uncontrolled sinful desires that cause fights in the church, allowing our covetousness to, to lead to hating one another, murdering other Christians in our hearts, 
Not praying for the things that we need, but rather praying for things that we can use to fulfill our sinful desires. These are serious things. You would think that he was writing to the world, but he's actually writing to believers. And and James brought this to a head last time by, by saying, adulteresses. Shocking way to to be addressed as a believer. But he says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And as we saw, James is addressing his readers with such severity to show the seriousness of their sins. They are unfaithful to God. They are claiming to be Christians, but living like the world and following after the world. And this is spiritual adultery, spiritual adultery unfaithfulness, James is saying. James is, again, drawing a line in the sand, and, and, and he says that, that Christian living is totally incompatible with loving the world. He is making the, the distinctions between Christians and non-Christians evident all throughout this epistle. He warns that there is no middle ground. Friendship with the world is not only spiritual adultery, but it's actually hostility towards God. To to align yourself as a friend of the world is to actually make yourself God's enemy. And we can sense the tension here. This is not a mamsy-pamsy message. Just do your best. It's not a message of it's okay, let's pat ourselves on the back. We, we're all sinners, right? How does it go? When you talk to somebody on the street, and, and you, you, you take them to the law, and you say something like, have you, ever, have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? And they say, human. Right? This is what human, humans do. James does not take this kind of language. It's as though James is saying, take a side. Are you going to follow Christ or the world? Don't have one foot in both. Choose this day. Whom will you serve? You you cannot serve God and mammon. He is showing that there's no compatibility there. And in keeping with the, the theme of going after the world as spiritual adultery, James points out that the scripture does not say in vain that God is a jealous God. Scripture does not tell us about God's jealousy for for no reason at all. This is a major wake-up call. Because if sin, going after the world, is like spiritual adultery, meaning unfaithfulness to God, and if God is a jealous God, jealous for the, the worship and loyalty of His people, then we have provoked God to jealousy with our worldliness. God says, I want your worship. I am your creator. I made you to worship me. My son redeemed you so that you could be set free from sin. And then you go back to it. This provokes him to jealousy. And this is a problem because in the Bible, God jealously is closely associated with his wrath and his judgment. But as I pointed out, instead of, instead of taking us there, James points us to the grace of God. He says, yes, you have provoked God to, to jealousy with your sins and love for the world, but he gives more grace. 
And as we saw, James does this to to woo us to obedience to God. Despite our unfaithfulness, God has given us grace that is greater than all our sins. The sins of these believers abound it. But grace abound it much more. And so what should be the response to such grace? Not a license to sin. How do we respond to such marvelous grace being extended to such undeserving sinners? The proper response, says James, is humility. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud man, after being shown his sin, walks away unaffected, perhaps justifying his sins. He doesn't long for grace because he does not see his need for it. And God resists such a proud man. But the one who in his humility acknowledges his need for grace, God will give him grace. He gives grace to the humble. And so James uses this verse as a springboard for what he says in verses 7 through 10. And so our first point here is a, is a call to humility. Now verses 7 and 10 form a bit of a, of a sandwich, continuing with the theme of humility. Verse 7, he says, Therefore, submit to God. Notice the word, therefore. Therefore, submit to God. To God. He tells us to look back at verse 6. This, therefore, is in light of the fact that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, James is telling us how to respond to the fact that God gives grace to the humble. Since God gives grace to the humble, what should we do? How do we respond to being confronted for our sins? Submit to God. And in verse 10... Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Douglas Moo says, if God gives the grace to meet his claim on our lives to those who are humble, then we must become humble if we expect to enjoy that grace. James sounds this call for humility in verse 7 and 10. Submit yourself to God and humble yourselves before the Lord. These are like bookends. Submit to God. Humble yourselves before the sight of the Lord. Submitting to God and humbling ourselves are the ends with instruction in the middle. So our call to, to humility starts with what? It starts with submission to God. And so we look at the command to submit. James says, submit to God. What does this mean? Douglas Moo says, to submit to God means to place ourselves under his lordship. And therefore to commit ourselves to obey him in all things. The Greek verb... The Greek verb, hupotasso, means to put in order under and suggest the existence of a hierarchy of authority, such as God institutes in human government and in marriage. The word for submit, hupotasso, is a military term. MacArthur points out that it means to, it means to rank under. 
In other words, there's a hierarchy here. There's a, a structure of authority. The idea is that God is the highest authority and we as subordinates must carry out His commands. We must to submit to Him in all things. It's not a mutual submission. It's a superior commanding others what to do and, and them being required to submit. We are to submit ourselves to God fully, he says. This means submitting ourselves fully to the Lordship of Christ. Now, you would think that this doesn't need to be said, but it does. Because as many of you know, we, we have this thing called the, the Lordship Controversy. Where there are people who believe that you can have Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord. They say it's possible for you to be saved by Jesus, and yet you still don't have to obey him. One source said that they believe that, that one could be in a state of salvation and lack entirely the fruit of repentance and from sin and obedience to Christ. The so-called free grace. You don't have to submit to Christ. You don't have to repent. But you can still have him as your savior. And they would actually say that, that adding repentance to the gospel call is legalism. God doesn't call us to repent. He only calls us to have faith. And so they created what we call the carnal Christian. A person who was supposedly saved, but, but has not yet turned away from their sins and does not walk in obedience to Christ. J.I. Packer many years ago wrote this. If you had told me that I would live to see literate evangelicals, some with doctorates and a seminary teaching record, arguing for the reality of an eternal salvation divinely guaranteed that may have in it no repentance, no discipleship, no behavioral change, no practical acknowledgement of Christ as Lord of one's life, and no perseverance in faith, I would have told you that you were out of your mind. But now the thing has happened. And it's still there. People still argue with you. I don't have to repent. I have faith in Jesus. I can have faith in Jesus and live as a homosexual. I can have faith in Jesus and, and live in adultery. It doesn't matter. It's my faith that saves me. I can live however I want. But James makes it clear. Believers must submit to God. They must submit to Christ. MacArthur said that contrary to what is taught in some evangelical circles today, there simply is no such thing as trusting Christ as Savior without at the same moment submitting to Him as Lord. Whereas the believer was once under the lordship of Satan, through saving faith he eagerly places himself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whereas he was once the enemy of God and the slave of sin, he is now the loyal subject of his Lord and Master. James is writing to Christians who are guilty of many sins. People who have been living like the world in, in many ways. And James tells them grace is available to the humble. And this this, this humility is manifested in submission to God, in submission to Jesus. The humble person is going to submit. 
And here we find one of the differences between a true Christian and a false Christian. The the false Christian will will proudly reject Christ's lordship and and he will receive no grace because God resists the proud. But, But the true Christian will submit to God in humility. And we have examples of this in Scripture. Can you think of examples of, of men unwilling to submit? What about the, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? Now behold, one came and said to Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the the, the young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And what does this man do? Matthew said, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. This man was not willing to to submit to Christ. He, he loved his possessions too much. He was, a, he was a proud man. His possessions meant something to him. Uh, apparently, he actually believed he had all that he needed because he was not willing to accept Christ's terms. Although he seemed to have interest in, in spiritual things, he asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He was not willing to submit But then we can compare this man to the Apostle Paul. What happened with the Apostle Paul in Acts 9, after his conversion, what is the first thing he says? What do you want me to do, Lord? I am at your disposal. I submit to you in everything. And then Paul lived a life of obedience, even willing to die for Christ. The rich young ruler would not give up his earthly possessions, but Paul gave up his very life. This is the difference, dear friends, between a believer and a person who's just interested in Christianity. True believers submit to Christ. And we could spend a long time just just looking at what it means to submit. But but let me just quickly show you how prevalent and all-encompassing this command is for the believer. And so let us look for a moment at the extent of our submission. And I'm just going to give you a few things to think of here. Scripture tells us that Christ is Lord of our time. Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. That's the expectation. That as a Christian, we actually make the best use of our time. What about our bodies? 1 Corinthians 6, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Romans 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments of righteousness. Do you see the expectation there? You've been purchased. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. You belong to another. And this is true even with our lives. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And he's talking about not just our physical bodies, but but our lives, everything about us. The entirety of our being is to be submitted to Christ, he says. And it's not just physical. Do you recognize that Christ is Lord even of our emotions? James 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into to various trials. Colossians 3.8 But now you also put off all these, anger, malice, wrath. Even our emotions are to be subjected to Christ. Along with our affections. Colossians 3.2 Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What did Christ say in Luke 10? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even demands that we submit to him in our work ethic. Colossians 3, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, Fearing God, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not as unto men. Jesus says, I'm Lord even of your work. When you are at work, you don't just work when the boss is there because somebody's watching. You work a certain way because you work for Jesus himself. He says, I'm Lord even of that. And he's Lord of our desires and our, and our wills. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus gave us an example of this in Gethsemane. When he's in agony, he's praying to the Father. And what does he say three times? If there's some other way, if there's some other way for this to happen, but, but not my will, but yours be done. God, I submit my, my will To yours. Dear friends, do you you realize this? Do, Do we think about these things? Even our wills and our desires are to be subject to Christ. And we could go on with this list all night long. What did Paul say? What whatever you eat or drink or or whatever you do whether you're eating or drinking or or whatever it is, do all to the glory 
of God. There is no part of our existence and being that is not under the Lordship of Christ. This is what it means to submit to Christ, to submit to God. That we literally check ourselves and say, is there areas of my life that I am not submitting to Christ? Well, this is my me time. And I do what I want on my me time. It better be subject to Christ. Even our leisure is to be subject to Christ. And this does not mean that we don't have downtime where we enjoy things. But but what it means is that even those things must be subject to Christ. He is Lord over Everything. Just think about this. You, you have random thoughts that, that pop into your head. And what do you do with those thoughts? Do you say, Jesus is Lord of my thoughts. If these thoughts are not right, then I'll get them out of my mind right now. He's Lord of every single part of our existence. We are to submit to him in everything. And so fourthly, what is the proper response to Christ's lordship? How does being called to submit in this way make you feel? I'm going to act like a psychologist here. How does that make you feel? What do you think about that? Let me ask you a question. Examine your heart and your mind right now. Is, is that too much of a demand for you? When, when you hear that, that every single part of your being and existence is to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, do you say that is far too steep of a command? What is your response to that? Because this is what we are called to do as Christians No, we are not saved by by works, but the gospel calls us both to faith and repentance. And this means we are to turn from our sins by doing what? Turning to Christ. James is not saying that we earn salvation by our submission, but he is saying that the Christian who recognizes his sinfulness and his need of grace will humbly submit to the God who gives grace. As James is writing to believers, his expectation is that they turn from their sins and submit to Christ in everything. This is a call to repentance. And it begins with humble yourselves and submit. And the believer, dear friend, the true believer will submit. Not perfectly, right? Not perfectly, but better all of the time. Let me give us one more picture here of the, of the true versus the, the false Christian. The, the false Christian is filled with pride so, so that he says, this is way too much. Maybe I see my sins or some of my sins, but, but I'm simply not going to submit every area of my life to Christ That way, I'm not going to do it. And the true Christian, filled with humility, says, In and of myself, I am nothing. I have nothing. I'm a poor beggar before Christ in need of grace daily, so I would do anything to receive grace. Do you you see the distinction in mentality there? 
I don't need that grace. If that's what grace costs me, you can have it, God. I don't want it. Versus, I have nothing. I will take grace on God's terms. I need His grace. I can't live without His grace. I'll take it, whatever the cost to me. And that is the poverty of spirit that leads to humble submission. Listen to what Thomas Watson says. The poor in spirit is content to take Christ upon his own terms. The proud sinner will argue and bargain with Christ. Check yourself at this. Listen listen to what he's saying. And ask yourself, which one of these people are you? That the poor in spirit is content to take Christ upon his own terms. The proud sinner will argue and bargain with Christ. He will have Christ and his pleasure. Christ and his covetousness. But he that is poor in spirit sees himself lost without Christ. And he is willing to have him upon his own terms. A prince as well as a Savior. Does that poverty of spirit describe you today? Do, do you humbly say, yes, I am guilty before God. I have been unfaithful to God by, by loving the world. I have committed spiritual adultery. I am guilty of living like these Christians to whom James is writing. And I humbly recognize my need for grace. So I am willing to receive that grace upon any terms. I will submit to God in humility. If that is you, dear friend, take comfort. For God gives grace to the humble. Humbly submit yourself to God knowing that that you have received His grace and you will continue to receive it in your humility. But what about the proud sinner Watson mentioned who will argue and bargain with Christ? He will have Christ and His pleasures. Christ and His covetousness. If that describes you, dear friend, I plead with you to consider the perilousness of your situation. To consider the the danger that you are in and understand you are in no position to be bargaining with Christ. Do you recognize that? Watson goes on to say, a castle that has long been surrounded and is ready to be taken will deliver up on any terms to save their lives. He whose heart has been a garrison for the devil and has held out long in opposition against Christ when once has brought when God has once brought him to poverty of spirit and he sees himself damned without Christ yet God let God propound whatever articles he will he will readily subscribe to them lord what will you have me to do he that is poor in spirit will do anything that he may have Christ he will behead his beloved sin Dear friends, are you willing to behead your beloved sin to submit to Christ? This is what James is calling us to do. Behead that love of the world. 
behead that unfaithfulness to Christ. If you are a proud sinner, your condition is serious. And James said, God, resist the proud. Do you understand that? That God will resist you in your pride. That this word could be translated as opposed to. God is opposed to the proud. MacArthur points out that this word was used as a military term depicting a full army ready for battle. God is in his full battle array, as it were, against the proud. That is a frightening picture. Let that sink in. When, when, when James says God resists the proud, he is saying that God is in full battle array against the proud. In other words, the, the castle is being attacked. It is besieged. It is surrounded by, by troops. Therefore, you are in no place to negotiate. Your only option is to accept the terms of surrender. I, the only option. And the terms of surrender are simple. Humble yourself and recognize your need for grace, proud sinner. Come to the Lord saying, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Believe in Jesus for salvation and turn from your sins. Humbly submit yourself to God. And He gives grace to the humble. Dear friends, those are not hard terms of surrender. But if you persist in your pride and your arrogance saying, I don't need grace, understand that God is in battle array against you. But he offers terms of peace right here, right now. Humble yourself before the Lord. Why is it important for believers to be told to submit? Why, why does James do this? Why does James go here when he wants to talk about repentance, when he wants to call these, these, these believers to repentance? Why go to submission? A lack of submission is what causes us to go astray in the first place. These believers are guilty of befriending the world. What are they doing befriending the world? They're not submitting to God. What are we doing when we are sinning with our hands? We're saying, Lord, I'm not submitting my hands to you. What do we do when we sin with our mind? Lord, I'm not submitting my thoughts to you. Do you see that? We're sinning. Why? Because we're not submitting to Christ. If we were submitting in all things, we would not be sinning against him. James is calling us to repentance. And what does repentance look like for for wayward Christians? Submitting to God. Remembering that they are under the lordship of Christ and turning back to him in obedience. 
This is repentance, dear friends. May each and every one of us recognize our need and repent. And may we humbly submit to God in every area of our lives, even though we have greatly failed. Do we recognize? Even though we have greatly failed, God gives grace to the humble. Recognize what he's saying. He, James is, is, is saying very strong things here, calling people friends of the world and enemies of God and, and that they're hostile to God. He calls them adulteresses. He calls them double-minded. He, he uses a lot of strong words. But, but listen to this. What do you need to do? Be perfect? No. Is he calling us to, to be absolutely perfect to receive God's grace? No. What is he saying? Simply, humbly submit. Humility says, God, I'm not perfect. I fail daily. This is why I need your grace. That's what he's calling us to. Humility. And and if we truly have humility... We will say, yes, God, thank you for your grace and and thank you for sustaining me by your grace. I know I don't deserve it. What would you like me to do for for having such grace, for, for receiving such grace? You want me to submit to you? I'll do it. That's humility. And so James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Dear friends, understand your need for grace. Understand that we need grace daily. And understand that if we will humbly go before Him daily, understanding our need for grace, He gives it abundantly. And in light of this abundance of grace that we have freely, undeservingly received, let that motivate us to submit to Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this call to repent. To turn away from living for the world and loving the world and befriending the world and to submit to you. Dear God, give us grace. Give us humility to see our need for grace. And Father, help us to be motivated by this grace that we have received to, to serve you and to submit to Christ. Help us not to see submission to Christ as a a burdensome thing. I believe it was Matthew Henry who said that your dominion is not designed for our harm, but for our good. Help us to recognize that. To recognize that to, that to submit to Christ in every area of our lives is a privilege and an honor and a, and a wonderful thing. And help us be so overwhelmed by the, the grace we have received that we willingly submit. 
And Father, if there be any here who don't yet know this grace, we ask that you would regenerate their hearts. Show them their sins and their need for you and show them the Savior. Cause them to to turn from their sins and trust in Jesus and be so overwhelmed by that grace and mercy that they willingly submit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.